Welcome to the E6 Podcast from Colonial Church, a place for candid conversations about what our church community is learning, what's going on in the world, and how it all applies to our lives as followers of Jesus. My name is Brooke. This is episode 85. 85, baby. And we have so much going on. Um, we have to just jump right in because we don't have time for everything else. So That's right. not only do we have an interview that we that we did with um, with Gilbert from Uganda, who was here over the weekend, um, that we want to get to. We had some things that we want some updates about, some things that we need to get to from last week, Absolutely. and a question, and all those kinds of things. So we're going to... ground is moving underneath our feet. Let's go, bro. We're running. So, uh, Lauren, start us off and tell us about the prayer walk for those of us that did not have the ability to make it. How yes. Did go? Can I just tell you, I was it was so good. Um, last night... Uh, Brett and Jessica Swiger, who have taken leadership just recently of our prayer ministry at the church, uh, just invited. It was just an open invitation to the whole church to see who wants to come and do a prayer walk around our campus. And it was a little cold, um, but not rainy. It was really nice. And uh, we had, I think it was right at 30 people show up. Cool. And enough to divide into four smaller groups and walk around and uh, just pray over different ministry areas uh, of the church. And um, oh, it was just, I know for me and Carrie, my wife and I came and uh, it, on a side note, it was nice. I wasn't in charge of anything. And I just <laughs> prayed with my friends, yeah. you know, and uh, it was really good and very encouraging. I haven't even told our staff, for example, yet that each of those uh, four groups would would stay would stand for example outside our our office building and pray over each staff person mm-hmm. by name and their families and um we moved over to the student ministry buildings and prayed for middle school and high school students and leaders we moved over to the bus and prayed over all the ways that this bus that is a pretty recent gift to the church could be used to bless people to transport folks in need to take kids to camp mm-hmm. So I'll stop there because we went everywhere, <laughs> but it's really encouraging. I, I was I would have loved it if there were five or six of us, but I don't mind admitting it was super encouraging to have about thirty people, yeah. you know, come together um, from different circles, you know, and just pray. It's awesome. good. It's good. It's awesome. Well, we had compassion over the weekend. We had the uh, we had compassion Sunday. Yes. And as I mentioned, Gilbert was here. Gilbert and, from Uganda. Uh, I heard I heard my teenage daughter from the front row uh, say Uganda forever. <laughs> that's good I don't think she quite knows her African you know, you know geography you know, that's, that's fine that's fine is, well, is Uganda next to Wakanda uh, I don't remember I'd have to go back and, and watch that again I can't remember exactly where Wakanda <laughs> where, is where did they pretend Wakanda is uh, yeah I don't remember sorry digress I don't remember anyway Gilbert so, from Uganda so Gilbert was here can you say his last name uh, um, nope apparently not <laughs> Mufitundinda. Mufut, uh, that's good. Mufitundinda. Yes. Mufitundinda. It was so good to have yeah. him join us. I had to look at it. Yeah. I can't remember. Yeah. If you missed yesterday, uh, you missed this weekend, this past Sunday, October 16th, you missed our second Compassion Sunday. Uh, our first one was last December. That's right. Can you give us an update on how many kids I can. have been sponsored? Yeah, so last year we had 84 kids were sponsored. This was our first one, so we had never done this before. 
And uh, that was specifically just from our church, oh. right? So we had the journey, which was the the kind of the walkthrough experience that, uh-huh. that was in the uh-huh. cafe. And we also opened it up to the public so they could come in and they could walk around. And so I know that there were more kids sponsored through that. On top of the 84. On, on top of the 84. But it was 84 just from Colonial. So that was that's awesome. That is fantastic. Uh, and so this year, um, knowing that we already had people that, that were already sponsoring kids and, um, you know, just kind of going through some of the recommendations. I was hoping and, we'd have 20. I know. 20 was like mild. as like 20 if we more. got 20, that 20 more kids lives changed and uh so we have 32 so yes. far and uh so i still have i still have 11 kids from tapachula that are are still available um and uh and I, i've got a whole bunch more beyond that um so, that are from different so back up farther out but let, let me get this straight yes. so between last december and yesterday we have 116 children yes in tapachula mexico yes whose lives are drastically being changed by the work of compassion. Yes. They're receiving food help, education. Mm-hmm. Um, they are, their families are being ministered to in unique ways. Uh, they're being uh, taught from the scripture. They're being shared the gospel. Uh, it's yeah. so cool. 116. Yeah. And then you're saying we have, as of the recording today on Monday, the mm-hmm. 17th, we have 11 packets left yes. that represent 11 specific kids in Tapachula yep. that hopefully during the week this week, if right. they reach out to the to you at the church office, or... Uh, I'll have them again on Sunday. Have them this Sunday, the 23rd. Right. Uh, after this Sunday, if I understood you correctly, we're going to send any packets left back to Compassion right. so that, God willing, somebody else somewhere else will, yes. will scoop them up. Yes. So we have the packets, and they're all tied to that specific kid. And so as long as one, as long as a packet is out, um, nobody else is available to pick up that kid because, you know, otherwise they'd end up with you know logistical nightmares. But, um, but yeah. So just to just to keep that in context, like it's not just um, you know kids kids getting fed and that kind of thing. We're talking about kids that are living off of. Um, you know, less than $2 a day. Their family is living off of less than $2 a day or a dollar a day, as, as Gilbert was talking about it. And so that's like, you know, maybe you're getting a meal. Maybe you're getting two and not a meal like we expect, like what we think of. It's like it's like scraping together rice and beans and um, at best, if you can grow that. And, um, you know, I, I loved some of his stories that he shared throughout the book. Uh, you know, one of them, one of them was uh, he, he, when, he, when he got his first pair of shoes, um, and how drastic that was of a change, uh, you know, how, how much of a treat that was to have a pair of shoes. Mm. And uh, and so he, he would look at soccer players and be like, man, I can't believe you would treat your shoes so poorly <laughs> because you wear them while you play soccer. And he said he talked about... Um, he talked about taking his shoes off sometimes when, and he would hold them and walk with them to go someplace mm. or to play soccer or whatever. And so he would be holding onto his shoes. So one, nobody ran off with them, but two, that he wouldn't mess them up. And uh, so I just, I just thought that was really cool. So just to keep it in context, like we're talking about 116 kids that their lives are drastically changed mm. because they are a part of of compassion now, where they are they are being taught about the gospel and fed, and they're taking things home to their families, and their lives are their their families' lives are changed on top of that too. So it's really cool. Um, it's really awesome to see people jump on. And, and I loved, I loved watching people because I, I got to kind of be around the tables, um, as people are going through and looking through and watching people like, like, like families bring their kids over and say, okay, which one of these kids do we mm. want to, to, uh, to take and, and write letters to and talk to and 
And uh, I saw some that like, uh, I saw one couple that sat down and they were in the middle of, like they'd come and taken this, this uh, packet off the table and they went off to another table and they sat down and they were praying over it. Um, even in the midst of the, you know, the chaos of, of people walking in and out and asking questions and all that kind of stuff. And they were just like, we're going to stop and pray over this one thing before before they ever fill it out. And then, uh, other one, others that were like, Hey kid, come and fill this out. Like they had their kids writing the credit card number and all that kind of stuff onto the page Mm. to, to get it all done. So I saw one family with two very little ones. I want to say like four and six, five Mm -hmm. and seven. And they were like, I think they were saying you guys pick one, right? Like, let's look at the pictures, yeah. look at their names, yeah. A look lot at their of ages, a lot of families, and the did kids that. were like, "I want to, I want to take that one, I want on. that one, right?" Oh, yeah. So, so, it's, so, so beautiful. It's it really cool to watch, um, and uh, and just to, to experience it from that side of the things. And, mm. um, so, to be clear, yes, am I, am I assuming too much? Because uh, you're our, our podcast guru. <laughs> In the show notes, among other things, uh-huh. you can put a link to Gilbert's book. Yes, he wrote a book this year that's. Yes. That's entitled "Life's Lens: Looking Through the Eyes of a Compassionate International Child." I th- I think, as you already referred to the book a couple times, a great read, certainly for anyone who's sponsoring a kid. Uh, just a better understanding, yeah. Uh, maybe increase your empathy of of where this money's going, yeah. the impact yeah. it's making. Also, some practical things that Gilbert puts toward the end of the book on on how to be a good sponsor, mm-hmm. on on what kind of things to communicate in our letters. That, that at least for his, from his perspective were, were significant. Yeah. So you're going to put that in the show notes? Yep, that'll be there. Is it possible to put in our show notes uh, some kind of link, maybe even just to contact you directly if they want to sponsor a kid this week yep, we or beyond this week? Somebody hears this podcast episode a few weeks from now to reach out to you, or is there a compassion link you can put in there? I, I'll leave that to you. Yeah, there. Our, our we'll podcast just guru just yeah sure just to be clear um we do have these packets for these kids right now after after this next week or so we will we'll send them all back to compassion and there's always a way to sponsor another kid and there may be you know once these 11 um you know let's let's say we don't get any more right and so i'm going to send these 11 back and somebody is like two weeks now from now hey i want to sponsor a kid from tapachuli you know we got somebody else from a church just heard about it whatever and they want to do that I don't have a direct link that's like, oh, here's the kids in Tapachula. But it's doable. But I, I bet you we could figure it out. Yep. I bet you we could figure it out. If so. anybody goes to on their own to Compassion directly, right? Um, if you request a kid from Tapachula, Mexico, I'm pretty sure that that more often than not they're going to be able to hook you up. Yeah. That's well, my, that's my assumption. Anybody that's interested, just send me an email. I'll have my email in the show notes and they can they can hit me up and uh and and I'll I'll figure it out. I'll figure it out for you. So, that? speaking of Tapachula, one yep. of the thing I'm eager to share on the podcast for our listeners is we got the um I wouldn't call it the green light. I was going to say, it's not, not really a green it's light. not a green light. Let's, let's not get too We've excited. We've got a, uh, I, would, I would call it like a lima bean, you know, fluorescent green. You know, I'm making that up. It's a new color. Lima bean fluorescent lima green. Lima bean Very, very faded. It's not It's not a strong green. Though? Like, if, if you're like, was that a green light? I'm not sure. You know, one of those things. Yeah, that's what I do when um, I go. When I'm, I'm driving. Uh, may have been yellow. I'm not sure. But <laughs> I digress. The regional director that we um, lean into a lot uh, named Steve, is it Taylor? Steve Ayler. Ayler. I was so close. close. Steve Ayler. Um, I call him Steve. Sorry, Steve. Uh, Steve is not listening to our podcast right now. <laughs> That's probably true. <laughs> Steve is uh, one of the compassion big dogs that that resources churches, for example, in North Texas. 
And he just communicated to us last week that um, Compassion is just now starting to plan international trips again. They did that a lot before the pandemic. And long story short, he says it is very, very possible, possible is the key word, that as soon as next fall, fall of 2023, that we will be able to get a group of people from Colonial down to Tapachula, Mexico. I could not be more (laughs) excited. Even if I don't get to go. Like, I'm in denial that I'm not going. But, Brooke, even if it's you and a handful of other people from our church, um, I, I really don't see myself not being on that bus. But... If if we take hey we could go and take some take some people and leave Tanner here, and uh, just be like hey you, you got the weekend right absolutely <laughs> the weekend the week and a half the week and a half whatever, whatever we're doing yeah so okay so we also got a uh, we had somebody else that that I had multiple people ask me about that because uh, you know just 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 as, as mentioning it from the stage and um, and then we we got a question that came in today asking the same thing like how much would it cost to go on a compassion trip for one person. And uh, so just to give you a, a brief overview uh, of we don't know, uh, we, uh, we, we don't know, right? So that, there's a lot that goes into it. Um, That's the overview? Yep. We don't know? Yep, we don't know. <laughs> uh, I, I'm going to tell you why, right? So, so we don't know. Obviously, I mean, as we've watched over the last couple of years, travel expenses, things right. like that have skyrocketed, right. and they're fluctuating all over the place. So who knows what that looks like, right? We don't know. Um, we don't know uh, a lot of that, but what we do know is that compassion is um, is somebody that would work with us to to do this in the best way possible. They would organize the trip for us, right? They I'm would organize the trip. Sure. Like it's not just a, a shot in the dark. Like oh, we're going to go down there and see what happens. Right? Like it's, there would be a plan. This is what and, they have done for a long time. Right. They, they know in, what they're doing. They invite churches that are partnering with them to come. Come meet people. Yes. Come meet the kids you're sponsoring. Come meet the churches in the community you're partnering with. Come see for firsthand the child development center that's been built. Um, and and we also like I don't remember if we talked about this last year when we when we talked about it um, a little bit more on the podcast, but um, but we chose um, we chose kind of a, a region of the of of the of the world. Uh, you know, we, we kind of said, Hey, we don't necessarily have a like ideal, like, Ooh, we really want to be in Mexico or we really want to be in Africa or whatever as a church. We just said, you know what? You tell us where there is a need. We would like it if it was someplace that we could in, in, in the future, be able to get to a little bit easier. Um, and so part of even what's gone into, hey, there's a need in Tapachula, and it makes sense for us to be able to get to, uh, t- to uh, the, you know, the bottom of Mexico a whole lot easier than it is to get to the other side of the world. Um, you know, so, so a lot of that. So we're hoping, like, maybe that would be like a, you know, somewhere around $1,500. Um, and so there's going to be a lot of people that can't afford that. But you and did make that number up, right? I did make that number up. So Maybe less, maybe more. You, I told you, the overview is, we don't know. Let me, let me, let me just, could you sum that up for me? Yeah, we don't, we don't know. in uh, in in twenty words. <laughs> is this or less, helpful? Um, we don't know. So I'm just excited. I know, I know. And so and so again, we're 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 working on that kind of thing, and we're still on hold. Like it's not like okay, let's plan this trip right now. This is a we're hoping. We're, you know, compassion is saying we are hoping to be able to do these things in the fall of twenty three again. And on that note, I do think it's reasonable for us to know. I do think it's reasonable to have some better idea early 2023. Because sure. if, if we're going to plan a trip, for example, in the fall, right. we'll we'll start talking about that February, March, right. easily at the, at the latest. So just keep, keep, uh, keep your ears open for that kind of news. If any of you, to the many of you, I should say, that I know are sponsoring kids, uh, 
look forward to an opportunity, if not next fall, God willing, really soon after. Um, and then the churches that I know that do this and have partnered with Compassion long term, it's very common to take a group. I, I would say a good rhythm would be about every 18 months um, just to have another because there'll, there'll be small trips. We're not taking 47 people down there. Right. We're probably taking a dozen or less, mm-hmm. you know, and so um, we'll have different groups going down there. You know, yeah. I, I would I would guess every year and a half or so. Ah, oh, man. OK. We got to move on. I'm more excited about that than I am <laughs> sports. Compassion is awesome. Thank you all for uh, for jumping in and and you know taking care of these kids and uh, and, and doing that, making way the, to step up, people making a sacrifice to to do that. And we hope that you guys will will jump on and and do the, and engage with them as well. Just just like Gilbert talks about, um, you know that that made a made a big difference in his life. And we've heard that repeatedly from other people that have that have you know come out of the program that when you when you are conversing with them and you're sending them letters and pictures and things mm. like that, that makes a huge difference. So mm. we got to move on. Talk to me about uh, our, our change to one service that we announced on Sunday. Yes. For any of you that missed this weekend um, or haven't heard somehow from through the grapevine, uh, we've made a big decision. Our church leadership, we've been, mul- we've actually been mulling over this since last April, since post Easter earlier this year, we are moving to one service, one gathering time on Sunday mornings as of the beginning of November. So the next couple of Sundays, the 23rd and the 30th will still be our normal 9, 15 and 11. But as of November 6th, uh, and for the foreseeable future, we're going to move to a 10 a.m. Sunday morning service, Sunday morning gathering. Um, some reasons we're really excited about that. <clears throat> excuse me, some reasons we're really excited about that, um, among others. Uh, one is uh, we can fit all in one room. Uh, we don't have to. Um, we've, we've held back because it, it's nice to serve in one service and attend the other. It helps our kids' ministry. It helps our welcome team, uh, different areas of Sunday morning serving that it really helps. But we can all fit in one room. We, our auditorium seats 540 and we're averaging around 400, maybe, maybe high 300s. We can all fit in one room with plenty of room still to invite our friends and neighbors. Uh, it'll be nice to be in one room to, to, to build community together, uh, to worship together, to, to learn together. Um, secondly, another big reason we're excited about doing this is it allows us to do some things after the 10 a.m singular service time. We're not asking people to go to the 915, then come back later for lunch or go to the 915, come back later to serve together. For example, on the 6th of November, we'll talk more about that in the coming weeks. We're all going to stick around. Everybody's invited to stick around after our 10 a.m. service and and all go serve together. Um, A couple weeks after that, we're going to have a baptism celebration of some kind after the one service. A couple weeks after that, the first Sunday of December, we're going to have uh, our next come to the table event, our, our community meal. Um, so there's some things that we're even talking about um, that are that are new and creative that we can do together to build community and to, and to spend time uh, do, doing things together after the singular service. Um, so if you were here this weekend, it's redundant. You've heard all that, but I, I love that we, we keep that on our calendar We'll update you, especially the week leading up to the 6th of November. Don't worry about missing that. Notice that it's official for 10 a.m. Okay. Thank you for that. 
It's good stuff. Sorry, I rambled a little bit there. No, it's okay. It's okay. Yeah. We just got to. It's a good move. move. I'm excited for our church family. Yeah. To all be in one room together. Yeah, it will. It will be. And we we have we have had to you know we've made decisions like that before trying to get everybody in the same room and and you know and we've talked about this like having having multiple. Um, multiple congregations, if you will, you know, that are, that are, are not necessarily interacting with each other because they come to some people don't even know each other because they just have different habits. Right. You know, so, so, so there will be a lot of good. And, and obviously there, there are still challenges that are involved with this. It's not just a quick and easy decision by any means. So, okay. We got to move on because we still have an interview to get to and uh, we don't want to talk for all, all day long. But last week, um, we were finishing up our series called The Church Defined, talking about the, uh, the different things that the church is and is not. And uh, as we were talking about a family that gathers together, the church um, being a family that is made up of, you know, not necessarily all of the same people or the same type of people, things, people that are, are thinking different things and do different things, coming together. Uh, I believe even one of your quotes that you used said, natural enemies— uh, coming together to uh, to worship God together, um, we we brought up the the topic from Ephesians of the five different um, types of church leaders: uh, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And we didn't actually make it to that, so I want to give us a little bit of time to come back to that um, and uh, and and kind of flesh that out a little bit. Absolutely. So we're talking specifically about a passage we read together in Ephesians four. Um, this passage really came to life for me uh, about 15 years ago, uh, well into to ministry and, and pastoring, and yet it was kind of a new concept for me to understand Paul arguably laying out what you just said. There are different kind of leaders, different, different gifts specifically that every church really needs to function uh, as the church God wants it to be on the local level. And so to jump right into it, if you're if you're interested at all, we're talking about Ephesians 4, verses 11 and 12. I'm going to read it right now from the New Living Translation. Paul writes, these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. And he lists five. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. So we talked in our context a couple Sundays ago about these are, I just said, let's just sum those five gifts up and say, these are leaders. These, these leaders are, are who Jesus has given to the church. Why? To equip God's people. That's all of us, the church family to do what? To do his work, um, which is, we argued even in context of this passage to, to extend the rule of Jesus, to, extend, to, to, to build the kingdom. Um, the previous verse 10 says that Jesus wants to fill the entire universe with himself. Um, so back up, I, I quipped in passing, oh my goodness, let's just sum up those five gifts as leaders. Maybe we can talk about that later. <laughs> so I, w- I want to give this a, just a, a few quick minutes of approach to my understanding uh, I also want to give a resource to you if, if it interests you more. But real quick, what I would say is there's an argument that the churches of today, possibly even colonial, always got to look in the mirror, are missing the boat here a little bit. 
Because if you look at this list, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, you could argue that our churches of the early 21st century in America are led almost entirely by teachers. Uh, whoever's the primary, think, think of the big churches, especially in our culture, whoever's the primary teacher, that is the leader of the church. Mm. Uh, there's an argument here from scripture that it, that's just one of the five gifts. That's not even, you know, that's not the sole gift. That's not the biggest gift. Um, it's actually the last one on the list. It's the last one on the list. I don't know why. <laughs> um, I was about to say, are they alphabetical? Nope, they're not alphabetical. No, no. Um, but let me let me give you a resource here that really is helpful to me, and we'll put this in the show notes. It's an older book. It's probably 15, 18 years old. But a book by Alan Hirsch. Man, he makes me think. He he really stretches me in some areas theologically and, and ecclesi... I can't say the word. Ecclesiology? Uh, ecclesiology? Yeah. Ecle- ecclesiology is, <laughs> is understanding you know the, the makeup of the church. Uh, but his book, Alan Hirsch's book, The Forgotten Ways, he wrote one before that called The Shaping of Things to Come. The one I want to put in the show, na- show notes, though, where he really unpacks this more is The Forgotten Ways. And he goes back to Ephesians 4 specifically. And let me give you just a few quick descriptions of these five gifts he gives, which to me is really helpful. He sees apostles as those who extend the gospel. They're the sent ones. They ensure that the faith is transmitted from one context to another, from one generation to another. They're always thinking about the future. So I'll interject here. I think a lot of our local churches are missing this apostolic gift. They're future oriented. They're, they're really, they're, they're the church planters. They're the catalyst for change. Um, we resist those. We resist change a lot. And, and apostles don't really last long in community. They're just, mm. they're the John the Baptist that are eating too many locusts and not washing their hair, you know? <laughs> but they're apostolic and they're needed. Yeah. They extend the gospel. Prophets, he says, know God's will. They're particularly attuned to God and his truth for today. They bring correction. They challenge assumptions. Um, they're also not necessarily that popular, but man, they're needed. Uh, prophets know God's will. Evangelists recruit. They're infectious communicators of the gospel. Um, they call for a personal response to God's redemption in Christ. Evangelists are, are much more common, I think, in the local church today. Uh, maybe even pastors can, can often wear that hat really well. Shepherds, he says, which, which in the NLT is, is pastors, nurture and protect. They're caregivers for the community. They focus on protection and spiritual maturity of God's flock. Um, I would say that's probably my secondary gift. Um, by the way, I think, I think evangelist is my primary gift. Um, that might surprise some people, but I just, I just have such a a big heart for non-Christians. I find myself even surprised sometimes I'm working in a church. (laughs) Um, and then finally teachers understand and explain Uh, they're communicators of God's truth and wisdom. They help others remain biblically grounded to better discern God's will. Um, to make this personal, I think I think some combination of evangelist, shepherd or pastor, and teacher. I think I bring that to the table. Um, I don't know that I have this prophetic gift or this apostolic gift really much at all. Uh, and I think to Alan Hirsch's point and to others I've heard unpack Ephesians four, there's a need, arguably from Paul, 
that says these are important gifts. All of these are important gifts for the church, and we need them. And, and we need to ask ourselves the questions, do we have all the gifts represented in leadership? Uh, what does it look like to, to look for those voices, those gifts? Um, I, will, I will give one pushback. Um, I think this is a healthy thing. Uh, some people say that Hirsch in his book goes a little too far, and, and, and others who, who really take this as a prescription for the church it's arguably always dangerous. Like if you don't have these, then you're doing it wrong. Yeah. Um, period. Well, and frankly, you build anything off of a statement or two, you need mm. to ask yourself, Whoa, is that, that's a little risky, mm. you know, cause Paul doesn't unpack this elsewhere. That's, that's one of the challenges to this is if this is so vitally important, why is there not a whole lot more unpacking of it? Um, but I want to read one kind of, I wouldn't call it a counter argument, but a, but just a word of caution uh, from the Gospel Coalition. Um, I forgot who wrote this, but I I, I got to grab this note. He says I, I'm I think these guys Hirsch and others are on to something. He says God has gifted every believer for ministry within the church. We need the rich variety of God's gifts. We can tend to overemphasize certain roles. I would argue teachers and ministries within the church. We do well to empower all of God's people for ministry. So this, this is a good idea, he's saying, to, to really unpack Ephesians 4. But then he says, at the same time, I have questions about whether Ephesians 4, verses 11 and 12, is clearly meant to define a schema or the schema for how we function as a church. I think this points us in the right direction, but, but really dwelling on Ephesians 4 alone may go a little too far. I like his closing statement here. He says, let's celebrate the diversity of gifts within the church, but exercise some caution in applying this text as the model for how churches should be structured today. That's a long way of saying, and I'll wrap up with this. If this interests you, I, I think Hirsch and the Forgotten Ways is a great resource. I'd love to know any of your thoughts if you, if you dive into this. Um, but I think the greater point is made to say, hey, God has equipped so many different people so, mm -hmm. so differently. And we need to be very open to how God wants to use all of us in different ways. And um, I hope we can not only fight against lifting any singular person, myself included, in our context up to be the professional, the leader. I think that's in our celebrity culture, for example, I think that's terrible. <laughs> um, I think it's risky. I mean, what happens if I get hit by a truck worse? What happens if I fall short in my mm -hmm. sin? Um, I think God wants the church to be a family that is led by multiple people. That's why we really believe in a plurality of leadership and our elders. Um, and I, I think to use another term from last week, I think part of anti fragility looks like plurality of leadership with very different gifts. Hmm. That's what I'm taking away from Ephesians 4, at least on the the highest level. Yeah. Well, so it makes me it makes me wonder, so we're, we're a pretty um, low church uh, version of, you know, what, what we do. You're talking about like our practices yeah, on a our, Sunday morning? Our, our practices. Jeans um, and t-shirts and... Yeah, yeah, that kind of thing. 
Um, you know, and, and even, even in our, in our titles and, and things that we, uh, you know, the ways that we refer to each other, it makes me think about like some, some, uh, Pentecostal churches, um, that I've, I've known or, or, uh, gotten to know some people that are part of, or, um, or some, some different, uh, different versions of Baptist churches that, that where they have different titles for people like this is, this is apostle, whatever, um, or this is, uh, you know, oh, this is prophet, you know, so and so, or or deacon so and so, or whatever. Is there? Are, are we missing something because we don't use titles like that? Where mm. we're kind of, it kind of speaks more to what this person is is maybe, about. Maybe that, that's a fair question. I, 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 I think on one hand, we risk putting people in boxes. Mm. You know, um, for example, I look at these five I've already alluded to. I think I've got, you know, strong in two or three of them. Um, nothing in one and maybe very little in another. I, how do you put me in a box then, you know, in that regard? Yeah. Um, I think I, I'm not, I'm personally not drawn to that. Let's give everybody really specific titles based on their gifts because I, th- I think it risks missing something. Um, on the other hand, I'll, I'll go broader than what you just did. There's a church in California. I really like uh, mosaic in LA, um, Arun McManus's church. If you're familiar with McManus at all, um, and I'm not even sure they still do this. This is several years ago, but they have this process kind of like if you want to use our language, people who come to more about colonial and then people who have the rooted experience, they are then invited to come on staff. Mm. Does that mean they're paid a dime? No. Yeah. It just means they have a staff of hundreds, yeah. if not thousands. And the whole idea, it's philosophical. The whole idea is, you are now the church. You are empowered to right. love and live and serve like Jesus. Um, and so we don't have these professionals over in the corner. Yeah, yeah. They're doing all the work. You're now all on staff. And so, I, you know, that's just semantics in some ways. But to your point, titles are semantics too. It's, I think I just, I think I just land on, man, let's, let's just, I think self-awareness matters. Where am I gifted? Where, where, how has God, I think we need to help our people over time discover what unique life experiences and talents and spiritual gifts and, um, perspectives they all bring to the table and, um, and fan that flame of using those gifts and and experiences for God's glory and, and fighting against our celebrity culture mm-hmm. of of making pastors the end all be all, um, I, I think that's where I where I really land. the The details of unpacking Ephesians four and these fivefold gifts um, that's that's where we really get into deep theology and yeah. scripture interpretation. And I think there's room for wrestling with that. Yeah, I'm not gonna lie. It, it, you know something like uh teaching your church people to see themselves as uh ministers or or um you know evangelists or staff uh-huh. is is really that's a, that's kind of an exciting I figured you'd like that. Yeah, I bet. Yeah. All right, we got to we got to wrap this up. Um I know it's a little bit short today because we have an interview we want to get to um and uh, yeah, we hope you enjoy this interview. Um, Lauren, next week we're starting a new series. Yes. Give me, uh, give me three words. Peace <laughs> of mind. Wow, that was perfect. 
like I planned that. I'm just kidding. Um, I thought you did for a second. <laughs> um, can I go ahead and say yeah, that our, go ahead, our go ahead. title to our next series is Peace of Mind. I think it's going to hit right where a ton of us are. Uh, I think we have some really strong needs amongst a lot of our people and a lot of people we do life with uh, that don't go to church, for example, that just long for healthiness, uh, peace in the midst of a lot of anxiety and anger and um i'm i'm really looking forward to digging into the scriptures and and uh and tackling this with our folks for a few weeks awesome okay well we're gonna do that um this is the e6 podcast from colonial church you can always get more information about colonial at colonialchurch.com or from the app store or the google play store where you can download our app uh, we'd always love to hear from you. Thank you for sending in your questions. We've got another question we couldn't get to today that we'll probably try to get to next week. And um, yeah, so send us your questions, comments, thoughts, feedback, podcast at colonialchurch.com. Um, we are uh, appreciative for those of you that are listening and are a part of this with us and growing here at Colonial alongside us as well. Um, we're going to pick up the conversation again next week, but before we do, we are going to get to our conversation our interview with Gilbert Mufitindinda. Okay, we are back. Laura and I are back here with Gilbert. Welcome to our podcast. Welcome. Thank you for being here um, this weekend. It's a pleasure joining you, Brooke and Lauren, and thank you for having me. Absolutely, man. We are we we are thrilled to have you here. Um, it's great to sit down and and be able to have a conversation and. Uh, um, I know we got to hear a little bit of your story uh, Sunday and, um, uh, you know, hear a little bit about how compassion has has um, made a, a difference in your life. And, uh, and and then just to encourage people to be able to uh, sponsor a kid and, and get out there and, and write letters and, and go back and forth. So I, lo- I loved we also um, uh, Lauren and I, have, we got your uh, we got your book this past uh, this past week. And so we spent a little time. Um, reading through your book and and really enjoyed your story and um, um, your perspective in the ways like I that was one of the things that stuck out to me was your perspective and the things that that are um, uh, normal if you will for me mm-hmm. and uh, you know things that I take for granted um, I loved the like if you could make a list of things throughout throughout the book then your story that you talked about like a, a microwave or a refrigerator or um, a movie theater or you know all kinds of things that that are normal for me that uh, was like as you were growing up and you mentioned throughout the book that it's just, oh man, I, I didn't even know that those things existed or that something like that existed. And so uh, things that we take for granted, it was really cool to, to, to read through this and, and uh, get to know you and your story a little bit better. Yeah, it's been, you know, it's been a great honor traveling and getting to experience these things. Like obviously like when I was born, like, you know, when I was in my community, there are things that you know, looked normal to me then. Yeah. But now as, you know, through my travels and interaction with uh, many people and being in, in America for over six years now, it makes me appreciate life better. And, you know, some of the perspective that I shared in the book is like, has been shaped by the people that I interact with, mm-hmm. by, by the, tr- the presses that I've been. And, and so I feel like, you know, those interactions, those travel, like traveling, like, has made me a better a better person. It has also helped me appreciate God, God better. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, I mean, like I said, it was it's great to hear your story and um 
So as we as we dive into, it, we'll, we're going to put a link on the uh, on the podcast notes. So if anybody wants to to jump on and on Amazon and uh, um, get your book and take a listen and read it or read it, they can't listen. Sorry, can't listen. Not yet. That's what they're doing right no. now. Brooks Brooks used to audio books. <laughs> that's right. Oh, I think I, I, might, I might actually need your your help to turn <laughs> this into an audio. You should ask him. <laughs> that's his thing, man. So you do that. Brooke, yeah, you know. Hey. I I read physical copy in my hand. I'm proud of you, Brooke. I, I you read, held it in your hand. I, I read. I read the whole thing. I loved it. Um, Thank you, Brooke. I'm honored that you read it. Of course. Yeah. Uh, you know. Uh, <laughs> okay. So let's let's just start the basics, right? We talked about some of this during the service. Um, what was life like for you um, growing up, and like pr- prior to Compassion, um, where you grew up with your family? What was that like? Well, thank you so much, Brooke, for asking. Like you know. So growing up, um, I was born in a farm race, so materially challenged, and even the poor people would underlook us. Mm. And like you know, like you're born, and like you, like most of what we ate came from the garden. So I think traveling, like I've come to realize that not many people have a place where they plant mm-hmm. a crops. But growing up, we planted crops like corn, corn, like but we call it maize back in Uganda. Yeah. So we planted corn, we planted bananas, we planted beans, we planted potatoes, and like ate those like those meals from January kind of to December. Like we occasionally ate meat. So when whenever we ate meat was like on special days like like Christmas. And now like <coughs> now when I travel I love to say that my favorite food is meat. Because <laughs> I think maybe I'm compensating from the meat <laughs> for the meat that I didn't eat. You did before. ask. You were texting me uh, yeah. Saturday night. You yeah. said, um, "Hey, can you recommend a place to eat? I'm looking for some ribs or some steak." Yeah. Nice. Uh, so, like, I tend to <laughs> nice. lean towards like meat because I I feel like, like growing up, like if you ate meat or had lice, that's like you know you are rich. Yeah. <laughs> and so, like. I eat meat now, like, you know, I feel like, you know, I enjoy it. Yeah. But growing up, like I said, we couldn't even afford a bowl of rice. Mm. And I slept on a dirt floor, like on a mat, and covered myself with a, with another mat. Mm. Mm. And my family survived on less than, you know, one dollar a day. And for mm. a big family like mine, like five si- five sisters, two brothers, and I was the ace born, like, like life was a daily struggle, if you will. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. So you're, you're the baby. Yeah, I'm the baby. The baby of the group. Oh, I missed yeah. that part. I heard yeah. you say you had five sisters and two brothers. Five or? sisters and two brothers, and, and you're the you're I'm the, the youngest. Out of I'm eight. the ace out of the oh, ace out of eight. Yeah, and so you know, I was honored to have like older siblings, but then when they they started dropping out of school and like like I was like, huh. It makes me feel like, you know, I'm hopeless, kind of. Mm. Like, will I ever go to school? Will my future ever amount to anything, kind mm. of life? And so, you know, at a young age, I had no hope for what the future held for me. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Well, and one of, the, one of the things that you talked about was the school dropout rate. You said it was uh, 68% of kids mm. in yeah. Uganda are dropping out, and uh, 85% of those are girls. Yeah. And um, um, a lot of those are becoming pregnant before 18. So the dropout rate is is a big deal. The dropout uh, rate is so high. And like when you drop out of school, like, you know, you do the next big thing. And the next big thing in my community is 
is ma- getting married and like I'm not talking about officially like going to church and mm-hmm. doing a wedding it just like I w- like in american terms it can be called cohabiting like you mm-hmm. like you meet like a lady mix meets the elders of the the guys community and then together they agree that you can start living together kind of deal mm-hmm. and it's a traditional marriage setup and like when they get married like most of them the, the boss control is like is like not something that you know is the comes to mind and so you they they get married to co-create and so mm. end up having more chi- more young children like born to a couple that can't take care of themselves and mm. that's how the cycle of poverty continues to grow and mm. yeah. actually like to drive the dropout rate home uh, six of my seven siblings dropped out of school Mm. and the, they all ended up getting married at a young age and like by by 18 like you know if you're not married by 18 in my community it's like there's something wrong with you are you okay <laughs> and thing they start questioning you mm. know uh, asking questions like that and and so i got married later in life and so I wrote, like i like many people are asking questions about why is it taking long? Do you need help finding <laughs> finding the light girl or something, <laughs> something like that? And like, but like, I have over over forty five nieces and nephews from my seven siblings. Yeah. yeah wow. So that's an average of what I'm doing the math six six plus kids. I've never even thought about like wow. the average, but like, <laughs> <laughs> well, but you're like, from a family of yeah, eight kids, so yeah, right. each of us have four kids oh and in america you know in america yeah. that's a lot of kids yeah like that's more than most families at least seem to be having these days yeah um i think two is like average one or two yeah yeah i can't imagine having eight that's crazy yeah. i mean like my parents were like they were shooting for 12 so twelve. <laughs> so eight was like oh yeah we are short <laughs> <laughs> we are running a little behind on this yeah like but like you know like like to get a background of this, I think like in our traditional society, like it was looked at like the more children you had, mm. the more wealthy you were considered, kind yes. of. Mm. And like that meant like if you had more children, that mean meant that you have a lot of manpower. Like if you have gardens, then like your mm-hmm. children will be the one tilling the ground. If you have animals, some of your children will take care of the animals, mm. and so. Like having more children, like traditionally, was looked as prestigious. Mm. It's changing now, but still, some families still like have many children. Yeah. yeah. So you talked about um, materially um, being materially poor. Yeah. Um, and and struggling to you know where what what meals you could have you know, the kids taking care of, of animals and gardening, those kinds of things you talked about in the book, walking to get clean water. Yeah. Um, what was, what was that like, um, again, before compassion comes into your life that, uh, you know, what, what does a day look like with, with food and water sustenance? So, you know, with like food and with food and water. So, so every child, like growing up, I had to be part of, you know, sustain of sustaining the livelihood of the family and so every morning my parents would be like assign responsibilities to all children and then like on one occasional day they might say gilbert you're cooking for the rest of us and you bring the food to the garden 
or they may assign a task like, you know, go get water. I'm getting water. Like we used to walk over four miles to just get water. Mm. And like the distance wasn't the only challenge to getting this water. You had to get there and like many, like, like we had one source for the, like a few sources for the whole community to go at. So there are times when you would get to this water source and there are like a hundred people in front of you. And so Mm. like at times like a task of getting water would end up taking half a day. And when I was like, because of compassion, I got the opportunity to remain in school. And so like, and I had the books taken care of. And so I was more privileged in a way that, you know, they, my parents would let me get excused from going to some responsibilities, like fetching water just in case it ended up taking half a day. Mm. But my, my siblings, especially the, the two sisters that I follow, like, they did most, they would go and get the water and be there longer. And like, you know, af- especially after dropping out of school. So life was really tough. Like you know, like you know, with the farming, like being part of, you know, the 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 farming meant like holding a hoe. Like we talk about like farming, like you're not using like fancy tools. It's just a hoe and a panga, like. It's a panga, like we use. It's a it's a sharp knife, kind of mm. like, like long one, and mm. it's normally used to to cut branches and, mm. and to like make sure that the banana. My my dad had a banana plantation, and I, I used to take care of the, of that. And I also mentioned about like how the banana plantation was part of the sub sustainable living, like you know, would make juice and mm-hmm. and be kind of local beer out yeah. of banana yeah bananas and like my dad would sell like part of it to get some income for for mm. the family and so yeah I, I gotta say one of the one of the things that i loved one of the stories that you tell is is um uh when you had a a childhood friend that's visiting after like like coming back from university and yeah. uh, and you talked about the uh, the banana peels that uh that are 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 slippery like we have in in the united states we grow up hearing that you know in 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 movies and tv shows or video games or whatever there's always a banana peel that someone steps on and trips and and slips and falls yet i've never in my life ever seen i've never seen one on the ground actually happen (laughs) yeah and so to hear hear your story about about how how slippery the bananas are and that that was part of the fun yeah it was part of the fun but like you know my the friend that I was talking about, I mentioned in the book, she was from an affluent family. Okay. And so she, like, her family had, like, like employees or laborers that would do all the gardening for them. And so when this, when this friend came home and they brought into the, passed through the plantation and fell down, like, to her, I was like, how do you even stay here? <laughs> <laughs> and to me, like, to me, I was like, this is fun. Why don't you see this as fun? And so that's like that just shows that there is inequality everywhere. And so it's like you know for Americans and like it's easy for them to think that everyone back back in Uganda is poor, mm. but like that's not the case. There yeah. are people who are extremely rich, and they they may not have like the net worth of the Americans, but like 
Actually, most of there are some that live a better life back in Uganda than most Americans in mm-hmm. a way that, you know, if you to own a house or have a car, you you have bought it, like, or you have provided collateral. Mm. So it's like, if you have a very fancy house, it's not like you have any mortgage. Like, and from, from being here, I've realized that some people might live in fancy lifestyle, like fancy lifestyle, it's a choice, but you never know if they... You know how much they owe. If right. if they, you know, if they don't owe anything, it's hard to tell just mm-hmm. by mere looking at someone. Mm. Whereas back in Uganda, you can tell so and so is rich. Just look at the way he's dressed. Mm. If they have a car, it doesn't matter how like the make and model. Like if someone has a car, they are rich. Mm. If someone has water in their house, they are rich. Mm. And it's only. It's easier to differentiate. Yeah, I mean, I loved your your perspective in the book. You talked about it. That you were talking about um, being in Camden, New Jersey. Yes, and uh, and talking about Camden being one of the poorest places. And as you compared to poverty in Camden to the poverty that you grew up in, that destitution comes in different forms for uh, with different magnitudes. But the feeling of hopelessness and the lack of opportunities cuts across all dimensions of impoverishment whether you're in the inner, inner city of United States or in a village deep in the south, in southwestern Uganda. I love that perspective of, you know what, hopelessness is, yeah. um, is a pervasive thing when, when, you, don't, when you don't have the, the, the things that you need. And yeah. um, talk, about, talk about the feeling, that, that kind of feeling of hopelessness growing up and then how that changed when, um, when compassion comes into your life. So, like, again, like I was sharing, like, growing up in a family that, you know, didn't seem to have much to even buy books, because, like, part of the reason why my six of my seven siblings dropped out of school was mostly because they couldn't sustain, like, buying pens, books, or school uniform. And, like, by sustaining, like, it wasn't, it's not much. If you had an, an average of $15, like, Every month, every family could, you know, could buy books, pens for their children, especially if they are going to, like, a, a public school. Like we have what's called universal uh, primary and secondary education, and they, like, this is where you go to a, pu- a public school, and you're technically not paying any tuition. Like, teachers are provided, and, and you just have to show up, have books. You may pay a con- local contribution fee but like like this is maybe like five dollars in three months but because like my my parents couldn't sustain that my siblings ended up dropping out of school six of the seven and so when i was a child i was like i'll end up dropping out of school like my older brother richard mm-hmm. or my my other sisters aris edna's uh, peace molly and winfred and and so, like, you know, so you, you wake up and you're like, I'm another failure. And, like, as a child, I was a shy child. And, like, you walk around the community and people are like, oh, Gilbert, like, I see you're going to school, but you, you end up like your, your siblings. You never amount to anything. And so when, like, that was the life of growing up and, and I was shy. And, and so everything, every negativity, every word that they would be uttered to me at, at that moment, or was like, that's who I will become. 
But then when I got connected to Compassion International and I got connected to a sponsor, my sponsor's words and the encouragement from the, that they contained helped me to uh, to focus on what's important, remembering that I'm loved by God no matter what the situation that I, I go through, reminding me that I'm enough. That mm-hmm. It doesn't matter what the world says about me. It matters what our Heavenly Father thinks, thinks of me. And so it be, I began to realize that there are a lot of rights that have been mentioned about me, and poverty is not my middle name in any way. Mm-hmm. And my, it's a situation that I can go through, but doesn't like that shouldn't define me. I'm, I'm more, mm. more loved and like bigger than poverty. And like with like with my sponsor's words of encouragement, it helped me also to know that I had a, a brighter future. And like one of the scriptures that my sponsor would share was Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. Like the the scripture where it says like I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. If the Lord declares good plans for you, it doesn't matter what you're going through. Like even when my siblings were dropping out of school, if God's plan for me was to go to school and eventually graduate, like I began to realize that God's plan will come to pass. And through the support from Compassion International, I got to graduate from college with my first degree in information technology. The youngest in my family, but I was the first one to graduate from college just because of the support that came from Compassion International. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, another story that stuck out to me that you told um, was uh, the story about the Jesus movie. Yes. Uh, and getting to getting to see that. Was that, was that something that came through Compassion? Yes, um, it, was, it came through Compassion. So one of the things that the Compassion Child Development Center would do was to find ways to expose children to the gospel and mm-hmm. to learn more about the Bible. And so I remember, you know, them bring, like, and compassion, like, it works with the child. So when I was a child, it was hard to differentiate, is this really from compassion or it's from the church? And the compassion, the project that I attended, which uh, they ended up buying the equipment to actually show the movie. But I remember the first time, like, I think they had a projector, I didn't know it was called a project at that time, and they portrayed the movie on on a wall, and I would hear like, you know, like they had some, like the movie. It was Jesus's movie, so I remember Jesus like saying, "Let the children come, come to me," and I was like, "I want to be closer to Jesus." So mm. <laughs> I ended up like, I remember standing somewhere and getting closer to the wall. <laughs> to just be closer to Jesus, and mm. and that's how like you know powerful like even small thing like watching a movie would be, and like like the movie that we watch that I watch, they would use like a like a translator mm. which changes like like the the someone says words in English and someone else says like some words like in my native language, and so that helped me like understand some of the words that they were saying and it helped me get to know more about Jesus. And like it was an experience and will stick with me. Yeah. yeah. And you talked about you talked about hearing Jesus' words in your own language and um I, that just really stuck out to me. Like that's just you know when we're surrounded by our 
um, you know, the same language and the same relative culture all the time that, that yeah. you know, something like that that sticks out to, to, to you that's like, oh, man, to hear Jesus talk in... The, in my language. In yeah. your language. Like, it was really very powerful. So I'm like, I w- used to attend a su- Sunday school, and in Uganda, Sunday school, like, would be, like, the kids' ministry here in the U- in America. Mm-hmm. And so, like, when I was, like, my Sunday school teacher would, continuously tell me that like tell me and the rest of the children that Jesus knows you he, he knows your names he knows the the amount of hair on your head and like the fact like when I watched that movie and I heard Jesus share some words in my my language like it wasn't like someone had in, of course into trans like translated the words into to my language but at that time I was like Jesus knows my native language too. Hmm. That means he knows he knows my name for real. Hmm. <laughs> like I shouldn't doubt like what my Sunday school teacher says. That's absolutely true. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. really cool. Yeah, so. I I'm curious if I can jump in. Um I enjoyed hearing you talk about your sponsors. I know you mentioned even at our colonial services that you have had you had three sponsors yeah. for various reasons. Um, and part of what I enjoyed reading in your book was you talking about meeting, I believe you met two of the three of them. Is that yeah, correct? I've met two of the three. Can yeah. you tell us about both about maybe some circumstances around meeting them and just what that means to have a relationship long-term? You know, it's not, you know, we had people this weekend begin a relationship so to speak, or even last year, begin a relationship with a child. But you obviously have, in hindsight, perspective of many, many years now. Yeah. Um, you're, I said, I believe you said you're 33. Is that right? Uh, I'm turning 33 uh, next month. About to turn 33. Yeah. Okay. And you were sponsored at the age of seven. I was sponsored from seven until 21. Seven to 21. So. Yeah. So, t- so if you don't mind, tell us a little bit about your sponsors and and meeting them and what that long term relationship with with one or one or more of them means to you. So let me let me get it back to how I happen to have three sponsors throughout the tenor my tenor sure, is Compassion sure. International. So when I got connected to Compassion at seven years of age, like I didn't have a sponsor for a year or so, and then I got the first one who who sponsored me and my first sponsor would like had two children and the one of them was closer to my age and so the children actually wrote most of the letters that that I received. And the children would like, you know, I would, you know, see see life from their eyes as well. And remember one time they mentioned about like a hammock and uh-huh. I didn't know what that was. <laughs> What's a hammock? Yeah. <laughs> What's a hammock? Or what? Like, they sent pictures like with them, but like this, that still didn't help much. <laughs> I looked, looking, I'm like, What's a hammock? What is this What's thing tied what? between trees? What, right? Like, <laughs> tied between trees? And how? How is that even? <laughs> is it helpful? But I'm like, it helped me like get exposed to you know things that might be out there. Mm. Helped me understand life in a different place. And they would like as a family they would, you know, tell me that we love you and they would send monetary gifts and monetary gift was like something beyond like the the monthly contribution. I remember like one time they would they sent a gift and I used it to buy 
a sheep. We had sheep, goats, and other animals at home. And so mm. one time they sent this gift and I bought a sheep. And I would also, like, in the letters, I would tell them about the sheep, about mm-hmm. what the activities that I was involved in. And they would also tell me what they were do- going through and share share scriptures. And, and, like, that was really, really great, like, to know that I have another part of a family uh, staying, like, out of the country. And I remember, actually, when I was, you know, shortly after I had given my life to Christ at 14 years of age, yeah, my dad used to have like asthma, and uh, eight months—I think I—I I believe eight months after I had given my life to Christ, my my dad got a severe asthmatic attack and mm. died uh, suddenly. Oh wow! And that was like, you know, one of the hardest moments in my life. And mm. I remember writing to my sponsor, and my sponsor wrote back and saying, "Gilbert, I'm so sorry that you know you lost your your father passed on." but we have a co-father who lives forever. Mm. It reminded me that it helped me know that, you know, God is still, like, in control. And looking back now, I can see that God has taken good care of me. My heavenly Father has taken good care of me even when my astral father is no longer on this world. Mm. But also, I, I remember, like, you know, a few years after that, like my spon they cancelled, like they stopped sponsoring me or the letters stopped and they they they're like I remember going to a project and I was told like you no longer have a sponsor but compassion is looking for you another sponsor. Mm. I'm like, what do you mean I don't have a sponsor? Is mm. this the same family that used to tell me that we love you, God loves you and mm. why would they just leave me without even writing a final letter to to tell me more about like what caused the, caused them to yeah. like to do that. I later learned on like I think it was like during the economic depression. Mm. Like that's why they could like they yeah. didn't have like I think one of them had lost jobs and like they couldn't sustain it anymore. Mm. But to me it was like sad like to hear that I you know I no longer had the family that cared for me. Like mm. right. Uh, like now I'm, like I kind of went back I had started believing the good plans that God had for me but for a se- for a season I was like I think God does not love me maybe I'll be a dropout kid like you know the the community has been saying and then like mm-hmm. you know like a few months after that compassion like looks for me a second sponsor and I remember being called into a into an office and I was told like you now have a second another sponsor and we want you to write an introductory letter to your sponsor they gave me a paper I I remember sitting for for like an hour and not a single word could come out (laughs) because I'm like what if my sponsors dropped because Mm. I wasn't writing well and my social work encouraged me like that's not the reason there might be some there might be some bigger reason. Maybe they were going through something that maybe they, you know, they didn't get the opportunity to share for mm. with you, but they still loved you. And and so I ended up getting a second sponsor. Like when I gained my college, I started writing, and my second sponsor, just as the first sponsor, used to write letters and like 
the letters actually one of them i have it here and like you know one of the like i will read a few a few sentences my family prays for you and that like hearing that like that that alone was enough to know that you know i have you know my second sponsor is caring just like you know my first one mm. and then my my second sponsor when when i was about to go to college on what compassion called the leadership development program called like compassion used to require like 300 dollars per month uh, to support someone in college and my second sponsor and ha- and his family couldn't afford the 300 dollars they still sponsor children today with compassion but and so i ended up getting a third sponsor who sp- uh, sponsored me th- uh, through college mm. so when my second st- uh, sponsor like when i heard that my second sponsor couldn't uh, sponsor me anymore when i was about to go to college i was like yeah it's don't worry about it i'll get another one just like i got the second <laughs> one different perspective yeah right? and so i had a different <laughs> perspective this time mm. and and like you know i ended up getting a ni- another sponsor the first two sponsors were from america one from tennessee and another one lived in alabama and lived in san antonio texas and the one who sponsored me through college came from the netherlands mm. and you know i remember like yeah the one fr- who sponsored me through college was in, into technology and like in some way he inspired me when i was at college i was like i want to own a company like my my sponsor does i want to like mm. write softwares and like host program like host websites and things like that and so for some time i actually you know started an it company in uganda with some business partners and learned it for some time and my 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 sponsors all like all that i can say about my my sponsors and like they all loved me equally and they reminded me of god's uh, sacrificial love through their their monster giving through through the like the letters they lord help help me uh, to believe in myself and know that god had great plans for me and i remember like one of my goals like like one not really my goals but like my desire was to at least meet one of my sponsors in person and just just tell them to thank you and like when i was i after graduating from college and like i stayed in touch like, with one of my sponsors and through compassion they they were like they were coming to kenya for a, a, a sponsor trip and i was like my sponsor reached out to me and they were like we'll be we'll be in kenya and we were wondering if you would be able to join us here in kenya or don't worry about the the trip course i'll cover that wow i'm right and you're still asking if you if I would, <laughs> I would, I would come of course yes i was saying of course and they like you know through the pictures that they had sent i remember going to a hotel and seeing like it was he seeing him come out of the hotel and so i was like pictures don't lie how do i feel like i know you for a long time <laughs> and so we i met him and we you know we built on like the connection that we had had already built through through letters mm. and i met the second sponsor when i when i was like here in the us like i was going for a speaking uh, engagement and and one day i was 
like I stroke I ask compassion I want to get in touch with with one of them so like my sp- second sponsor signed hard what's called like I think it's a non- I don't know if it's a non disclosure but like if you're no longer under the compassion program like if you are to stay in touch with a sponsored child mm. you have to write an agreement that the conversation mm. you're having it's like you know between you two and like if anything happens like it's not like compassion and shouldn't it yeah. shouldn't be held accountable so we had signed that and i got to meet meet him and his wife and two kids and and like i remember seeing the you know the one of the kids and like was in a hammock and like <laughs> oh this is the benjamin yes. then you know you're, you're now an adult like <laughs> so it was <laughs> It was really cool to meet them and felt like I knew them. Mm. And now I feel like, you know, they are all part of my family. And, mm. and so it's it's been an, like a, an honor and blessing having families all over the world because of Compassion International. Mm. Yeah. E- even on a on a maybe secondary level, I'm I'm encouraged just to be reminded, okay, you were sponsored in Uganda in Africa by someone in Texas or Tennessee. Yeah. But you also were sponsored through college from someone in Europe. Yeah. You know, who speaks a different language, who's from a different part of the world. It reminds me not just from my limited American perspective that this is an international ministry, but there are people all over the world helping people all over the world, you know. Yeah, that's yeah. it's just a moment to take in for a minute and it's pretty cool that we get to be a part of something. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. Yeah. So before we wrap up, um, I'd love to hear a little bit um, about um, what what you're doing now, and and maybe a little bit about the uh, organization you have back at home. So right now I'm a system service representative with IBM, and I repair computers, and that's really something that I do to to pay the bills here. But I I'm passionate about advocating for for children in extreme poverty and just like you know because like I like I said I have over 40 nieces and nephews like I felt compelled to to give back to my community and also help children like my nieces and nephews so I started a non-profit called Love Restoration to basically share the little that I that I've been blessed with and the non-profit now uh, lands a school with 285 children and 17 uh, full-time employees. That's awesome. Yeah. And I hope that, you know, I continue to share from the generosity that God through compassion, through my compassion sponsors have abreast me with. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, I, l- I love what you said. You said it on, uh, you said it in the book, but you also said it on Sunday in the service that, that um, if even even if you don't have a lot, sharing a little with love yeah. is still, um, I forget exactly how you said it, yeah, but li- it's still very oh. impactful. Yeah, little is enough when given with love. Like, so many times like, people are like, well, I don't have much. And like, God is not asking you, mu- like, God is asking you to use what you have right here, mm-hmm. right now. It doesn't matter how much it is. I remember, like, even in the Bible, if, when we remember, like, God feeding me thousands, like, how much did they did he use? Like, five loaves and 
you like pasta or anything, huh? Mm-hmm. You, you know this, <laughs> yeah. man. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, so like. You've, you've lived it. Yeah, so so he, you know, just little is enough when given with mm. love. Little is enough with when given with love. Mm. I like that. Mm. Well, uh, Gilbert, thank you so much for... Um, Spending your time with us, and now I'm getting the the. Uh, Let the me interrupt hang though. On a, hang on a minute, finger. I, I heard myself say to our people at both services that we didn't even talk about your wife. Can you at least tell us about you fell in love the last few years with an American girl? Is she, is she from Texas? Oh, she. Her dad was in the military, and they they moved a lot, but she has lived most like most of her life in Texas. Okay. Yeah. And so we've got a little bit of Texas pride around here. Oh, so I don't think okay. any of us are surprised that you fell in love with what we'll just call we'll call her a Texas girl. Okay. <laughs> and so tell us what's her name and her uh, name is Julia. And Julia. Yes, uh, I met her when like she was doing internship with Compassion when I came to work with Compassion on what they called alumni fellowship. Okay. I remember going to you know going for a walk with some of the interns, and then like. I was having a conversation with her and like her, her heart for Christ and she's a mechanical engineer by by schooling and mm. I remember like her passion was like I want to use my engineering background to help communities that are in need. I want to bring water to communities that are in in need. Mm. That need water. I'm like, wow, my community could use like someone like you. Mm. And so I started like building a you know connection with her and started messaging her. She didn't like she didn't like me at first, <laughs> but we let alone uh, connected. She she's passionate about you know uh, using her background to make communities better. She mm-hmm. actually spent two years in Panama and helped like build uh, like a water source for the community in Panama. And so I feel honored to have like mm. uh, a close friend and a partner in in ministry mm. in my wife Julia. That's great. Yeah, that's great. Mm. Well, if Julia, if, if you've made it this far into our interview, thanks for sharing Gilbert with us over here in Wichita Falls. We wish you the best for sure. Mm. Well, um, before I say all the random stuff at the end, how can we uh, how can we pray for you and your wife? Um, and uh, maybe, maybe before that, what what would you what would you say to somebody who is maybe still on the fence, trying to figure out, can I afford this? How do I do this? Can I make a difference in somebody's life? What would you say to somebody that's on the fence about sponsoring? I mean, to someone on the fence of sponsoring, like I was like, I would be like, reflect on how much this would mean to you, like, an opportunity to share Christ and be a disciple in in, in some way. Like, you know, you would like you would you don't want to miss out on an opportunity of encouraging someone. Like you can be the hands and feet and of Jesus, like, and so be open to what the Holy Spirit leads. And if it needs you to sacrifice, like a, one meal, like or one meal or one coffee drink or two coffee drinks a month to just sponsor a child uh, who is going through extreme poverty, please consider doing doing that. And you can pray, pray for me in, in a way like pray for good health for me and my wife, and pray that my wife and I will continue to listen for God's voice, and then 
we'll be able to continuously learn to share what God has blessed us with for the glory of his name. That's awesome. Again, thank you for um, taking time to uh, to drive to Wichita Falls and to be with us on uh, Sunday morning and share uh, share your life with us and um, and encourage people to, uh, to to take that step um, to to help make a, a difference in, in the life of kids that hopefully they get to see someday and maybe they won't ever. But um, we we appreciate your time and and uh, and again we'll we'll have the we'll have a link to your book in the. Um, in the notes for all of this as well. I enjoyed reading through um, your story and everything that's going on. So we um, we are are hopeful that your story continues to be something that is just as impactful. I love hearing about what you're doing back home um, for the, for your community there as well. Mm. Yeah, thank thank, yeah, thank you, Gilbert. Thanks for being with us. Thank you so much for for having me. It's been like a great pleasure for me to worship the living God with you, and I hope that He continues to use you and colonial church to make disciples all over the world.